0: Jesus wants us to serve, not be served. He wants us to choose humility, not pride. And he'll give us an example, a picture, of how to do that in John 13,
1: verse one. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Can you imagine the Lord God of the universe stooping to wash his followers' feet? It's an example of how we should treat one another a desire to serve, not be served. On today's program, David picks up our study in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John in a message called, Why Jesus Washed Feet.
0: If you were with me last week, you know in John 12, verses 44 through 50, Jesus gave his last public message in verse 44. He cried out to a large number, large throngs, and he basically preached the Gospel how the Father had sent the Son into the world to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Now, we move from John 12, verse 50, to John 13, verse 1. In between those two sections of Scripture passes several days. We don't know exactly when the public sermon last week that I talked about was preached by Jesus. It was probably on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. Now, when we begin John 13, verse 1, it is Thursday. And Jesus is going to have a Passover Seder meal with his disciples. He is in an upper room and he is preaching, teaching specifically to the 12. We're now moving from all of his public ministries, mostly in the temple, but in some other places as well, from John 1 through chapter 12, to now a personal mentoring time with his 12 disciples. Now, you need to know just how important these verses are, for for from chapter 13 through 17, we have what is called the Upper Room Discourse. These are the most intimate teachings of Jesus to not only his 12, but to you and me today. So, for example, with our teens that meet at 4.30 on Sunday night at Carmel Press, hey, parents, make sure you bring them. I've asked Sean Sindler and the leaders to really focus on these verses from now through December because if you want your teens to really understand what it means to be taught Jesus' most intimate teachings, here it is, and that's what Sean and our other people are going to do with the teens, and I just think it's so important for them to learn especially this section of Scripture. So again, that's at 4.30 on Sunday nights. Please bring them. We can't teach them if they're not here, and we want you to be able to teach them as well. There's a family conversation guide that Lita Flowers puts out every week for my message and gives you, the parents, a chance to go through with your children what I teach. That conversation guide will be used as well with our teens. So here we have this intimate teaching that Jesus is giving now in the upper room. Now, what was the upper room? Most scholars think, and I think this as well, that it's John Mark's parents' place. If you look at his history, you know he must have had some wealth in his family and it looks like jesus chose john mark's home to be a place where he taught and particularly the upper room of john mark's house and his parents house which implies they had some means some wealth where he taught not only the 12 but this could have been well the upper room of acts the first chapter in acts when the holy spirit was poured out upon those 120 who were gathered in an upper room as well So Jesus brings his 12 together, and he starts teaching them these intimate teachings. Here we go, folks. John 13, verses 1 through 20, one of the most powerful sections of Scripture. And here's the bottom line regarding what I want you to teach today. Jesus wants us to serve, not be served. He wants us to choose humility, not pride. And he'll give us an example, a picture of how to do that in this section of Scripture. John 13, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, so right before the Passover was to begin that weekend, here on Thursday night, Jesus is going to celebrate the Seder Passover meal with his disciples when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, His hour is the time of his death on the cross. And he knew it was within hours, literally. Uh, The Passover celebration would take around four hours. And it would begin at sunset. So it was probably around 6 o'clock when this Passover meal began. It would last for four hours until 10 o'clock. And then he would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane around midnight. And he would be on the cross the next morning at 9 a.m., He stood for six hours on that cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And so when you talk about Jesus knowing that his hour had come, he is within approximately 12 hours or so of him going to the cross when he gives his disciples this teaching. His hour had come, and it had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew that his time had come. To leave this world that he had entered in Bethlehem some 33 and a half years earlier, his time had come to return back to the Father. Remember in the verses last week, the gospel is that the Father sent the Son into the world, and the Son came into this world as perfect God and perfect human to live the life we can't live perfectly, and then to die on the cross to take the Father's punishment for our sin upon His Son so that we would never have to face the wrath of God. We're declared not guilty by the Father, and we can now have the gift of eternal life. Now the hour had come for Jesus to die, be raised from the dead, and ascend back to heaven, basically to go home. Now, keep going with me in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus came into this world to love not, not only these 12 disciples, but all of those who would choose to follow him, and he was going to love these 12 even to the end. All 12. Loved even Judas even to the point where Judas betrayed him. He loved all 12, even until the end, giving them all a chance to choose to follow him. How great is the father's love that he sent his son into the world. The son now longs for all of those whom he quests after to choose to follow him. He will love us to the end. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, now, notice here real quickly that Judas's name is Judas Iscariot. Now, why in the world did he betray Jesus? Well, it could be that his name, Judas Iscariot, could mean ish kerioth Ish means son of. Kerioth was a city in the south in Judah. All the other disciples came from the north in Galilee. It could be that Judas felt initially like he was always an outsider. He was the one given oversight of the treasury, and it could be that he had an education unlike these common fishermen and others who were from Galilee. It could be that he also loved money. That seems to be the case in the Scripture. And he pilfered money from the disciples' money bag that they gave money to for him to carry. And it could be as well that Judas had an expectation of Jesus being a Davidic-like Messiah, and when Jesus did not fulfill his desire for the reestablishment of David's kingdom on earth, that he led this betrayal against Jesus now the devil was the one really behind it Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 makes it very clear dear friends that our war is not against flesh and blood but the powers and principalities of the darkness there are two kingdoms there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness you're in either one or the other you can't be in both The head of that kingdom of darkness is the devil, the one who rebelled against God many, many years ago and took one-third of the angels with him who became the demons. They have as their desire to kill, steal, and destroy anything and anyone in the kingdom of light. So the devil thought he devised this plan to crucify Jesus, and he put into Judah's heart the desire to betray him. Why again? Because of money, because of power. Those are two big ones that have realized themselves continually through the years as reasons of why people betray people. But you need to realize that even though the devil did tempt Judas, Judas allowed it to happen. There is the temptation, the enemy, the devil himself can't force us to do anything, he can only tempt us. He had been tempting Judas repeatedly and finally Judas gave in. And here, John tells us that Judas gave in to the temptations of the devil to betray Jesus, to put him on the cross before this meal ever took place. So again, realize the devil wants to tempt you to disobey God and rebel against him. You have free will. You make that choice. But ultimately, the devil wants your demise and the destruction of anyone and everyone he possibly can. And also notice that Judas Iscariot is called Simon's son, So the devil puts into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, to betray Jesus. One quick thought here. Dads aren't add-ons. I don't care what our culture says. Dads are essential for the raising of children. And I find it fascinating here that John, the writer of the gospel, says that Judas Iscariot's daddy's name was Simon. Dear fathers who are listening to me right now, Make sure that you give your children the great faith they need in Jesus to defeat the wiles of the enemy. I promise you, the devil wants to destroy your kids. He's coming after them, tempting them to follow after the ways of this world and his wiles and ways. You dads need to step to the plate and say, I live for Jesus. You dads need to step to the plate and teach your children God's word. You dads need to step to the plate and model what it means to follow Jesus. You do not want your name one day to be mentioned in your child's rebellion against Jesus that So-and-so child, oh, and by the way, that was George's son, or by the way, that was John's son. You don't want your name mentioned with your son's or daughter's rebellion. You want your name to be mentioned in their faithfully following of Jesus. Please, I think John's trying to make that point here. Judas was Simon's son. There's a dad who is working in the lives of his children, either moving them toward the evil one or moving them toward Jesus. Make sure you're moving your kids toward Jesus. Look at verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So, Jesus knew that all things had been given by the Father to Jesus. Now, the Trinity is a mystery for sure, but it's faithfully taught throughout the Scripture. The equality of the Father and the Son, the Father and Jesus, is throughout the Scripture. And we see in the Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three interchangeably loving one another. When we worship, by the way, we should be Trinitarian in our worship, worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that when the Father saw our sin and knew our destination was hell, yet he loved us so much, knowing he had to deal with the sin problem, he sent his Son into the world. And in that request of the son to enter that stable in Bethlehem, the father then gave all things in authority to his son. Now, it implies that the father maybe held those things more than the son before the incarnation. But with the incarnation and Jesus' humble obedience to the father, the father gave him authority over all things in this world. So Jesus rules over everything In this world and in the scripture, Jesus will be the judge over every single one of us when we appear before him on that last day. And will either appear before him forgiven or unforgiven, which is an important part of the text we're about to look at. So Jesus knows that his time is soon. The father has given him all things and he's soon going to leave this earth and return home to his father. Have you ever thought about that? Where's your home? Fort Mill, Mint Hill, Charlotte, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, New York City. I mean, you might call that your home right now. That's not your home. Dear friends, if you love Jesus, heaven is your home. We are mere citizens living here for a season, but we're citizens of another planet, of another place. And we are journeying to that place. In fact, this past week I spent... A couple of hours plus with Katie Hedrick's mom and dad and her husband Miles, 35-year-old woman in our church whom we prayed for so furiously that Jesus would heal her of the cancer that had invaded her body. Beautiful young woman with two twins, 13 months old, and I just sat with them and and I just grieved with them. I cried with them. I, I tried to give insights into what might be going on through all of this, and I'll never forget Katie's dad said, you know what? We're just sojourners here on this side of, the, of eternity. We're just sojourners here on this side of eternity. And I thought to myself, you are so right, and Katie is now home. Just like my brother Howard, who passed away several weeks ago, and he did a CD that is available to all of you free of charge. Just take it. I know he'd love you to have it, to listen to all of his singing of the great hymns of the faith The title of his CD, I hadn't seen it before until I held it up a couple weeks ago, is entitled, Finally Home. Katie's finally home, Howard's finally home, and you and I who love Jesus are sojourners here like Jesus was for three and a half years. For us, however many years we're here, but our true home is heaven. That's our destination. Let's be faithful in our pilgrimage as we move there. Let's look at verses four and five. Jesus rose from supper, and notice that that verb is he continually rose from supper. Because in that day when they ate, they ate reclining. They they probably were on their left elbow, and they would eat their food, and their feet would be near the face of the person right behind them. And Jesus was reclining as well, so. What he's about to do, keep this in mind, in the Greek tense, this arose is the present continual tense. Jesus had to get up and keep getting up and keep getting up over and over to do something very special that we're about to see. So he rose from supper and then he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him.
1: Hmm.
0: I read that and my heart thinks, you know what, I'm a visual learner. I learn better when I see things. Um, Some of you are more audio in your learning style, others of you read something and that's a great learning style. I'm a visual learner. And when I see this, I know Jesus is appealing to those of us who are visual learners. He's going to give us an example here of how he wants us to live. So, one thing you need to know the reason he arose and kept arising, going from disciple to disciple to disciple with this towel and basin, uh, was because in Luke 22, and again, you look at all the gospel accounts and you compare gospel to gospel, it gives you insights into all that's going on. Well, in Luke 22, we see that during the Last Supper, the disciples started to argue among themselves regarding which one was the greatest. Can you imagine? Here they are with the Lord of love the night before his horrific death on the cross, and they start arguing among themselves, and this isn't the first time, but it's like the third time we have recorded in the gospel accounts regarding which one of them was the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, no, I'm the greatest. No, I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are. And they all have a furious argument. So in light of that argument, as they're reclining at table and they're eating, Jesus arose continually from disciple to disciple to disciple, to teach them something about what true greatness really is.
1: You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the importance of speaking the truth in all circumstances. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute,
0: focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte.
2: Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of Hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, You've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen and and that kind of Grew into the Dream Center and the meals we have fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now. I guess uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud?
0: Yeah, so it's been amazing to to just watch the the work that's happened. Um, with the meals as they've gone out you know uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place and so um and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Repark, Park I mean it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open um you know we've seen people come out um and just welcomed us with open arms just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moment of hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom.
2: And not only that, but you uh, also set into our kitchen and the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there. And as the restaurants opened back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center. With the kitchen, you helped us do so. We're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
1: Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hi,
0: Jen. Great to be with you as well.
1: Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you made an excellent point about how hard truth is always better than a greasy lie. Yeah,
0: well, it's true, Jen, and especially in this culture, we need to make this statement over and over again. A hard truth is always better than a greasy lie. We have people who are living in the culture of microaggressions Mm. right now, and what that means is you are living in fear every single day of offending somebody's feelings. It's Mm. like walking on eggshells in this cancel culture, and I think more and more people are just getting frustrated with their inability to speak what they think is the truth, even if they speak it in love. Mm. So we need to claim truth. Without truth, Lies proliferate. And I need to say very clearly to everyone, though you don't want to hurt people's feelings, if you live in this world, you're going to bump into one another, especially if you hold deeply held convictions. Mm -hmm. So we look at the Bible, for example, and the Holy Spirit's job, at least one of them is, to convict us of our sin. And when we are convicted of our sin, that hurts. Well, how does the conviction of our sin happen? It is by proclaiming the truth mm-hmm. of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to exhort all of our listeners today to state the truth, do so in love, and when you do so, you might have someone who doesn't like that, but that's okay because when the truth is spoken, that's the best hope we have for someone repenting and changing their lives. If you just speak a greasy lie to somebody, they're going to continue in their sin. They're not going to ever be convicted of their wrongdoing. So we must. With all conviction, speak the truth, because the truth is always better than a greasy lie, and when we don't speak the truth, we can be most assured that our culture will go down the slippery, greasy slope of unrighteousness.
1: Well, I love this, and I love these two Proverbs are my favorite, and I'm going to read this one from the Amplified Version, because it unpacks it a bit. It's Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they they serve his hidden agenda.
0: Oh, that's great. I mean, that's saying it from a proverb exactly what this davidism is today. Again, mm-hmm. a hard truth is always better than a greasy lie. So, dear friends, all of you listening right now, appreciate your pastors who speak the truth yeah. in love who say, Thus saith the Lord. We have so many biblical examples of prophets who went to kings and places of power and spoke the truth. We have some issues where the king rejected that truth Mm -hmm. and then paid the price for it. We have other kings, though, that accepted it, repented it, and God blessed the nation accordingly. Mm -hmm. So if that can happen with a king, it should happen with all of us as well. Listen to your pastor. Appreciate it when he speaks to you the truth in love, but also from your friend those around you when they speak a good mm-hmm. solid profound hard truth to you say hmm that's better than a greasy lie thank you for speaking mm-hmm. the truth to me in love
1: so good it's like cleaning out a wound it hurts it, but it's good and necessary
0: in the long run it's the best thing that can happen to you
1: so good thank you so much david thank
0: you jen and listeners thank you for listening today if you would like to receive from me these daily written moments of hope please go to momentsofhopechurch.org you can subscribe there free of charge for my my heart to yours to bring you daily a written Moment of Hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly wisdom for the leaders of our city.